Namaste and good evening to all of you. Let us continue tonight our exploration of the teachings that are applicable in yoga that we find in the words of Jesus, in the actions of Jesus, in the teachings of Jesus. We are in the middle of exploring the Gospel of Luke. Pointing about here, son. Okay. It's still in the frame because we can push it further. We'll push it. Push it. First, push it, and then you will direct it. Okay. First, push it as much as necessary. Okay. Is it okay? And now direct it. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Engineering. I will start once more. As I said, uh, you are probably aware of the fact that in satsang, since more than one year, um, I am exploring the Gospel of Luke, the activities, the words, the teachings that Jesus gave there, because in Agama, and we are not at all single in the world of yoga, we think that Jesus was an archetypal spiritual being, and his teachings are valid, even in yoga, and therefore that every yogi can learn from what Jesus said and did. Of course, Jesus is extreme in many ways because he is a spiritual perfectionist. He is a, an integrist. He doesn't make any compromise. He doesn't go half measure. He doesn't go like, well, you can do a bit of this and a bit of that. There isn't such a thing for Jesus. Jesus is the one who goes to 100%. 110% if possible. And because of that, sometimes people who are in yoga and who are used a little bit more with this flower power hippie style from the 60s, that yoga coming to the West is more permissive, more uh, relaxed. Uh, you know, people were doing yoga and then they were smoking a joint now and then and so on. You know, it's like they uh, are sometimes scared when you mix yoga with the style of Jesus who is this uncompromising style and this uh, style of giving everything, of going full on. So do not get uh, scared by that. Just take whatever you can take. What is important is that um, some of the teachings given there are universal. Either you are Indian or Himalayan or Tibetan or you, you know, God is the same, or if you want, if you prefer the cosmic consciousness, the universal field of consciousness is the same everywhere on this planet and everywhere in this universe. The human being is the same. There can be some chakra differences between Chinese people, Indian people, and Italian people. You know, there can be some differences, but nothing major. And therefore, the what Jesus reveals as a spiritual archetypal being is valid. And sometimes this cross-fertilization which appears between different spiritual lineages is very, very inspiring. It's giving us a lot of uh, ammunition, a lot of tools for our spiritual practice. In the last two satsangs, even three, 
Um, I've just been finishing with the Lord's Prayer where Jesus gives the most concrete uh, advice about how to pray. And we talked about prayer, which uh, in yoga, Tibetan and Indian, exists only in the lineages of bhakti, only in the religious lineages, where people are worshipping deities or forms of the divine, there people may practice prayer. There are also many lineages in which people do not practice any prayer, in the meaning that if people are doing vipassana and you focus on the awareness of the breath, body, energy, sensations, what prayer is that? So we made a clear distinction. If you want to hear more about that, watch the previous satsangs as they are being uploaded on our channel uh, to clarify the fact that there is a huge difference between using meditation and prayer, but that both exist, both can go hand in hand, both are legitimate, and therefore in the Christian environment, Jesus does not, never to my knowledge, advises about how to do meditation. You should focus on the tip of your nose and cross your eyes and then go deep, deep, a million miles away. And, you know, he never gives any advice like this. While, for example, Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, he says, sitting in the lotus posture, one should focus their vital force in the middle of the forehead. There's no prayer. It is not a prayer that you sit in the lotus pose and you focus your vital force, your prana, in your Ajna Chakra. This is purely an exercise of yoga and the meditation. So, uh, both exist in spirituality. Prayer being something which is reserved to those who wish to have a personal approach. Either you pray to God, like in the case of Jesus, or you are praying to some deities, like some shamans praying to some spirits of nature, or like uh, Ramakrishna praying to Kali, the black goddess of India, or others and others, it's still a personal approach. You are treating like the other part of reality is personal. For example, scientific research, metaphysical research done, um, facilitated by Sri Aurobindo in the 20th century, has shown very clearly that what Hindu mystics called Kali, this black goddess that you can see in the Shakti Hall when you are in there, a fierce black goddess smeared in blood and terrible, is ultimately nothing but a symbol of time. Time, like in Albert Einstein's theory of relativity, it's time. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Kali is time. And therefore, the fact that some people want to meditate on time by praying to time, personifying it as a black goddess and praying to it, some people will say, man, it feels very awkward for me to do that. Think what my family back in Germany would say if they would see me kowtowing to some black statue from India. No? People have awkwardness about religious devotion and these things. And it's like, can time, 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 time. It's an abstract concept almost. It's a force of nature. It's just an element of basic philosophy. It's one of the absolute bricks of this reality. Can you pray to time? Can you simply visualize that time is a black woman 
and say, oh, cosmic time, help me. And if you do it, does it work? Like, does it actually give you something? Well, it worked for Ramakrishna. So if you want to know if it works, go in the footsteps of Ramakrishna and find out. Or again, have a Kali initiation in a tantric school, and then you are going to see if it works or not, if it's a scientific method or not. So we always in yoga, we are with one foot in meditation and with one foot in prayer, and prayer is not compulsory. Some of you say, can I do yoga with you, Swamiji, 10 years and learn all the things, Kundalini and all the rest, and never really pray? Because prayer, I don't know, it has this, I feel uh, awkward. I feel a bit like, oh, what is this? No. Can I do just meditation? Yes. You can meditate on the chakras, on the energies, on the breath, on a lot of, on mantras, on a lot of things. And then prayer doesn't need to be there. But yoga has both of them. In terms of Jesus, he mostly was insisting on prayer because his approach was a direct approach in which he was uh, talking to people about creating a sort of a relationship with this absolute, ultimate, divine consciousness. This being said, we just concluded uh, some important structure of prayer in the Lord's Prayer and then Jesus is advising people, this is where we ended in the previous satsang, Jesus is advising people, be bold. Better ask God than not ask God. Like you can say, you know, uh, Ramakrishna has a parable of this. He says, the child is telling to his mom, mom, I'm going to bed now. When I'm hungry, please wake me up and give me some food. And the mother says, my dear, when you will be hungry the hunger itself will wake you up. Like if you ask God, God, when I'm spiritually hungry, feed me. God says, first get spiritually hungry, and then you will ask me to be fed and I will feed you. No, like if you ask something stupid, childish, naive, misguided, the cosmic consciousness has the right to correct that. Because you are dealing with a consciousness, not with a, just a force of nature. You cannot too much argue with rain. The shamans and the medicine men, they demonstrate that even the rain and the clouds and the things of nature, they hide some spirits behind it, and that you can pray to some spirits so that they can give you rain or sunshine or good crops or other things. But again, talking to a force of nature seems to be like to whom you are talking. But in the case of prayer, especially the monistic and the monotheistic prayer of Jesus, it's like you are praying to the one top consciousness of this universe, which is here now. We live into it like fishes live in water. We are bathed in it. It's omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, and therefore it, it's, it's a reality, it's a living reality for somebody like Jesus or for somebody like Ramakrishna. Swami Vivekananda, my namesake, who lived 120 years ago in India, he was a bit of a rationalist, although Indian 120 years ago, he was a little bit on the edge of rationalism, almost atheist. 
after he met with Ramakrishna, he couldn't be atheistic anymore because Ramakrishna demo opened the door to spirituality for them and he felt it with his own chakras, with his own spirit. But when he was still in the twilight zone, he was even asking Ramakrishna. He said, what is this God that you like? I don't see any God. I don't feel any God. People are dying like rats around here. Like, there doesn't seem to be any benevolent cosmic presence that helps us and gives us grace or something. So it's like, what you're talking all the time about God in a very... Like, what is this God? Can you see God, for example? And Ramakrishna looked at him with childlike eyes and he said, I can see God better than I can see you now. Then there are two possibilities. Either Ramakrishna is schizophrenic or severely deluded, or there is something which Vivekananda could not see, but which Ramakrishna had reached already. So, the same with Jesus. For Jesus, there is an absolute universal consciousness, which is here and now, and you can address it. You can address it without fear. You know, the Jews were afraid to pronounce even the name of Jehovah or the other 998 names of uh, God, Adonai, Savaot, and all those names, because there were some religious fears as well as some occult fears that some trouble may result, or you might be considered impolite by God, and then God might give you a thing, a raspberry to your nose or something, and then you would be punished because you've been overreaching. You know, you've been a bit too bold while you should stay respectful and meek. So Jesus destroys this gate by saying you should go. And in the paragraph which I'm alluding to, he says very clearly, he gives a parable with a man who goes in the midnight to somebody to ask for food or something. And that guy, although he says, well, you shouldn't have come in the middle of the night. You know, but like I understand your emergency. And he says, I tell you, that guy will wake up in the middle of the night and give him what he has been asking for. That guy is God. Like you cannot consider that there is an inconvenient moment. And therefore, you know, you say, uh, I suffer from herpes, no, sexual herpes. And I cannot pray to God for that. <laughs> no, because it's shameful. You know, I've been a sexual animal. I've been a you know, disgusting sexual person. And now when I got uh, what I deserve, you know, when I got the STD, I'm praying to God for it. God will spit on me and say, go back and hide in the hole where you came from. You know, you are an animal. You are a disgusting creature. Jesus says you are stupid. The demons are cheating on you. When you are afraid to pray to God... Again, except if you feel awkward. Let's say you feel awkward because you don't know if there is a cosmic consciousness and speaking to the empty air feels really crazy to you. You come from a family, from a school, from a country where you have been brainwashed a lot to not, you know, like there is nothing out there. And maybe it will take five years of yoga before your senses will open up and before you'll start feeling, and before you'll get confidence. I have known in my life people who two years in yoga, they have been totally atheistic, rationalistic. They came to believe in the chakras because they could feel the chakras. 
they came to believe in the astral world because they had astral experiences. They started even believing in the afterlife and in reincarnation, and they still did not believe in God. And one night they prayed to Jesus experimentally for two hours, and then it, the door was open like this. They didn't know when, you know, their heart broke into small pieces, and their life from that day on became a different life. And thus, uh, it's okay when people are awkward about it. No, but otherwise, if you know, if you admit that there is a cosmic consciousness and that that cosmic consciousness has extensions like Kali, Tara, well, if you want, Ganesha, or if there are saints who can intercede for you, Saint Francis of Assisi, please pray for me. Saint Teresa of Avila, please pray for me. Saint John uh, the Baptist, please pray for me. You know, and you don't do it, because you say, come on, I cannot pray for a herpes. That's usually that your mind is blocked by some dark forces which put in your mind too much shame and embarrassment and they prevent you from something really good. So Jesus says, you should pray at any time, at any turn of the road, you should pray. There is nothing wrong that you should say, maybe now it's not the moment to do it. Even when the Skylab, the first orbital station put by the Americans, the Skylab, when the Skylab lost its orbit and fell to Earth, the American parapsychologists, NASA consulted with the American parapsychologists from different chairs of universities in America, and what they suggested to make sure that the Skylab didn't fall on an inhabited area and killed many people, because it was like a seven-ton bomb orbiting, and it was, again, out of control. And what they did was that they asked the whole population of America for 10 minutes in one evening to pray, to visualize that the Skylab falls in the ocean and doesn't hurt anybody. And so it did. We don't know if it was 100% because of their prayer. But like the power of the mind and the fact that you can do things, even if you don't know, you don't have an exact proof how they work and how much they work, no, you should do it. And Jesus is reinforcing this in this parable where he says, yet because the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So he says, don't worry that the divine consciousness cannot or would not, or it's a, there is no wrong time or something. And he says, because of the man's boldness, like you should be bold. It's better to be bold and ask for something wrong. And then the divine consciousness will go like, <laughs> it's a silly question that was, silly demand that was, you know. It's better to make God giggle than not to do anything. Better do something silly than not do it at all because you are embarrassed to do it. It's exactly as Krishna said it. Action is superior to inaction. No, It's like, I could extend it so much from here, but let's uh, stick to the line of the text. So I say to you, so this is, remember, Jesus who says, I and my Father are one, and the same. So if Jesus is talking, God is talking. 
he claims that he is in total attunement. He is one. And therefore, he says, so I say you, or otherwise said, God, the Heavenly Father, the Cosmic Consciousness, speaking through my mouth right now, is telling you the following thing. So when, when he says like this, this is a promise. This is a full-on thing. It comes from God. Again, you can think that Jesus was schizophrenic and he was a raving lunatic. That's your right. It's your right to believe whatever you want to believe and experiment with your beliefs. But if you admit that the man was authentic, then he goes full and he says, so in relationship to this, I say to you, like it's a clear statement, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Sometimes you might not be aware of what you are asking for, or ask in the wrong terminology. That's why there is here a big problem. Are you asking things with your mind? Like, God, give me a Ferrari. Uh, no, no, not a Ferrari, a Porsche. And it should be red. God, give me a red Porsche. God, give me a red Porsche. God, give me a red Porsche. Can you pray like that? Of course you can. But it's a completely imbecilic thing to do. Will you get it? Experience of parapsychologists and people like this, say you call it your subconscious mind, and you say, my almighty subconscious mind, give me a red Porsche. And you'll get it. And you'll have a cancer. And you'll be unhappy. And you'll have no sexual partner. But you'll fucking have your red Porsche. Because you asked with the mind. Not in a holistic, integrated way. There is this beautiful comedy called Bedazzled. In which a guy makes a deal with a demon, with a devil. To ask that the demon, the demon will fulfill him seven requests. And then he will get his soul. So he can ask for seven times for whatever he wants. No? And every time when he asks, he has forgotten a little detail which the devil can find. And always what he asks is not fulfilling. It's not fulfilling. No? It's like he can always be tricked. You cannot beat the cosmic mind. So if you ask for something, it will be given to you, but it's not a guarantee that it's not going to be a very heavy lesson for you. When I was young in yoga, I knew a couple. They become, became a couple in front of me because I attended their marriage. A young, beautiful, spiritual man and woman uh, practicing tantra, practicing yoga, they got married, and they got married because the man was having a bit of cold feet, like many men have to get married, you know, to get committed to just one single relationship. And the woman was really full on, like, I want this man, I want this man, I want this man. No, like, I must have something for sure in my pocket, you know, I want a paper. I want something which guarantees me that this man stays with me. 
which is, in terms of the reality of life, just a stupid blind attachment. You know, everybody who thinks like this is in for a big surprise in the end. So what did she do? Seeing that the things, the relationship was still not going beyond a certain level. She consecrated a 40-day fast. She fasted black like no food, zero food, only water for 40 days. And she did a 40-day fast not to see God. She did a 40-day fast not to purify her mind. She did a 40-day fast not to gain merit in front of Buddha or of Jesus. She did a 40-day fast to get Eugene as her husband. This is witchcraft. This is magic. You know, can you do that? Yes, you can. Any tapas, any tapasya, as you have learned in first level, any tapasya will have an effect. And if the tapasya is strong enough, if you didn't finish level one, don't worry. The tapasya lecture is coming in week four. And then you'll learn exactly how the yogis do tapasya and what tapas is. So, she did a tapas to get a certain dude for her husband. They got married. I have attended their wedding. Later on, they even emigrated to the United States, where they still are. Their marriage already, and they, when they were there, their marriage had become a prison. This man got fed up. He was a very intellectual person. He got fed up with her. She was a super sensual, vadistanistic woman who required tons of sex. The guy was reading books by René Guénon and he was a philosopher and he was not interested in giving her sex. Probably the oxytocin in their relationship had worn out and they were flat with each other. There was no more spark into it. So eventually they got to be good friends. And now this woman was boiling to have sex with a tantric man, but she was in a prison with a man for whom she had done a 40-day fast to get as a husband. So, did she get what she asked for? Yes. Was it good for her? No. Then eventually she started fucking outside of the marriage because she said, no, I'm not a metaphysical jnani or something. I am a tantric woman. I need a tantric man. I want to do tantric yoga. But who created the prison? She herself with her own fears and attachment and all these things because she asked. So she asked. And it was given to her. So Jesus is right. Ask and it shall be given to you. But like in the movie Bedazzled, you will not see all the implications of what you ask. And sometimes if you ask the wrong thing, you are going to get a clap over the head. Like your reward may turn in your doom. That's why the yogis and the advanced masters of prayer, they never pray for childish things like those. Because they know that you don't have all the factors and that you'll overlook something. It's impossible not to. There is even a Greek proverb which alludes to this in a slightly different way, but it ultimately says the same thing. It says, how can you make God laugh? The answer is very disappointing. The answer is, you tell him your plans. No? Tell to God your plans, and God will make mincemeat of your plans. All your plans mean nothing, 
because your plans are coming from egoism, ignorance, attachment, you want something. But what if that something is not what was planned for you? What if that something is not what your soul needs in this life for your evolution? And you are still asking for it. And because you are a conscious being, and because you are a child of God, you have the right to ask. You still have the right to ask. When you want to ask for something, it's like, I want to get rich. But maybe when you are rich, you become very arrogant and very spoiled. And you lose your humbleness. And you lose your simplicity. And you lose some other very important things. So the divine consciousness says, actually, if you ask me, in this life, you should not have material prosperity and abundance. Because I see it's a poison for your mind. But you never bothered to inquire before. To say, before I ask for me to be prosperous, am I asking uh, God is there, can you make me see in meditation, have a flash and have an understanding why, for example, prosperity might be wrong for me, then I will not ask for material prosperity. Because maybe it's good for me to live always on the low limits of material prosperity, because that will teach me humbleness, modesty, and other things which are very necessary for me now, because I very easily become spoiled. You never bother to investigate about that. And you say, I'm a child of God. And I say, you know what? Spiritual life is good. Agama, yoga, headstand, pranayama, mantras. But I also want to ask for prosperity. And it shall be given to you. But it might be your lifetime's test. It might be your lifetime's trial. Like for that woman who got married with her boyfriend, it can be your lifetime's torture. It can be your lifetime's misery in the end. That's why the great mystics, when they wanted to pray, I told already in a previous satsang and elaborated on that, they pray like, God, 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 Jesus, Jesus, like, I want nearness. I want to be one. I don't want a red Porsche. The red Porsche comes collaterally, exactly as Jesus says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, like become fully enlightened like Buddha, and then all the rest shall be given to you on top of that. No, like if you want to be a Buddha with a red Porsche, you can be that. But first you have to be a Buddha. Not the red Porsche comes first. The Buddha comes first. The Buddhahood comes first. And therefore, um, in the prayer, Jesus is right. But he doesn't mention this thing that, of course, the prayer will be fulfilled and Jesus promises it. God says, you are built in such a way that you have a conscious mind, a subconscious mind. You have access to visualization, mantras and all the instruments of this universe. And, of course, what you ask for, you will get it. If you ask stubbornly enough, if you ask properly, many people don't understand this. When you study in Agama the laws of the mind, the laws of the mind, suggestion and self-suggestion and the other things, there you find out why it doesn't happen. Because how many people who are poor out there, either in North America or in Africa, they would like to be rich and they will still die poor and in misery. So why do people actually say, but I want to be rich? 
and they are not and they don't become even after 40 years because obviously they do it wrong they do it very even this simple thing that you say pray ask and it shall be given it's a totally different story you have to do it in the right way if you do it from svadhisthana chakra it is called wishful thinking and imagination if you do it from ajna chakra it is done visualization and mentalization and affirmation and other such things so it's a completely different way of doing it and that's why one of it will yield the result and one of them will not also depending on the astrological sign under which you are born depending on the karma from the previous lives if you are a person that has a terrible karma from a material standpoint and you visualize prosperity then it will take three times more time than for your friend Walter who is in the same level of yoga with you and Walter succeeds in three months you start seeing results Walter starts seeing results in three months and you say even after one year I don't have what Walter has why because Walter has a great karma and when he does it he just punctures a balloon he has the wind in his sails the karma is there and then he's carried by the wave and he because he just asked and he said now it's coming because the karma is there but if you don't have the karma for that you are sailing against the wind the wind is flowing against you can one sail against the wind yes like this one can sail against the wind if one is skillful but it is more slowly and it takes a bit more effort so that's why all these things with the mind and prayer and other things they are not equal for all of them jesus says ask and it shall be given to you but again let's suppose you are a very sexually handsome person and full of vitality and full of and you ask give me sexual partners give me a rich abundant sexual life how difficult will it be because already people are looking at you and drooling to have sex with you no but if you are a monstrosity if you look like stephen hawkins and so on how difficult will it be for you to create the thing that people want to have sex with you and that you will have an abundant sexual life no so you can see you you can use your intelligence and see so remember what i said that jesus promises but for most people they try to use it like in the secret and all this nonsensical literature where they people use it from the mind oh the good thing for me would now be to be financially independent maybe not maybe not you are assuming that it's so maybe god thinks in a different way no so it's like you can assume but let's see it's like you throw dice 20 years later we'll talk about it if it was the right choice or not and what i'm saying with this here is clear it has to come from the heart it's not only the mind it's the mind in the heart and the heart in the mind and that automatically makes that my prayer is not going towards asking for ridiculous isolated things my heart when i'm saying but what would you want from your heart 
No, I said this story in the previous satsang, and I'm sorry to repeat it, but it's very meaningful. Like this Indian man who gets burned on his body because the paint on the house roof takes catches fire. No, and then the goddess appears. A goddess, the goddess appears to him and says, "What shall I give you? Like, what would you want to give when you are burned to death and you are agonizing?" He would say, "Give me health. Give me healing. You know, make me not be disfigured by these burns. You know, he's burned terribly." Terribly, like his skin is peeling off, you know. And he says, let me be with you as much as possible. I want your presence. Like, he doesn't care if you will be disfigured. He wants to be with the goddess. He wants to have the mystical state of feeling like now. Like, give me this state which we have now. Extend it. Make me see you every day. This is the most precious gift. See, he comes from the heart. He's not thinking, oh, give me healing. Now that you showed up to me. Yeah, that would have been a short result. A very short, like, okay, all you can do is just you want your miserable body, who will be eaten by the worms anyway in a hundred years, you want your body to be fixed by, okay, hocus pocus. There it is, it's fixed, you know. But you have been really stupid, you didn't ask for something really good. No? But the man is spiritual, he comes in the heart, and he says, give me your presence. Because your presence is a million gazillion times more important than the fact that my body has been, you know. And then the goddess says, you have asked right, you know. It's like, you shall have the presence, but I shall also heal your body. So she says, go to the river, wash your body, wash your face in the river, and you will be okay. And then he goes, and indeed he's healed miraculously. He just washes himself in the Ganges, and the burn has disappeared as by a miracle. You know? So he asks for the right thing. And the other is given collaterally, like the healing and the red Porsche, is given collaterally. That's not what really matters. So, Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. But be careful what you wish, because it might become true. And then it's your prison. Then it's your doom. No? You, you ask for a, an abundant sexual life, and then you can't stop it anymore. You want a break and you say, man, it's like I'm in hell. Women come to me every day, three times per day, and they ask for sex non-stop. You know, and it's like I have sex. Other men are, can only dream about this. But you know, I would like to have three months peaceful in the Himalayas and meditate, you know. So the fact that they knock at my door and they ask for sex, it's a little bit like hell, you know. It's like a punishment. It's not, I mean, sex is pleasant, but the overdose of that, it goes in the opposite extreme, you know. So it's like you ask for it, but then you discover it was not what you wanted. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He describes it in three ways, you no? Know, because seek, what are you seeking for? At least everybody can say, I seek for happiness. No? Okay. So happiness can be given to you. Eternal happiness. No? The door will be open. What door? The door to God. The door to the cosmic consciousness. The door to Buddhahood. The door to the kingdom of heaven, if you want to use Jesus' language. So, Jesus is assuring you that because you are a child of God, because you have a conscience, or if you prefer a consciousness, 
Because you are conscious and you say, I am. Who am I? Where am I? What's happening right now? Okay, I, then I want this and that. Because you have this thing. No, like it's very difficult to presume how can a cow, a cow, pray. Because the cow doesn't have the consciousness to say, wait a second, now I'm here being a cow and therefore I wish this and that. The cow cannot stop at ground zero and say, I'm a cow, I desire this. That's consciousness. Consciousness gives us the power to make the assessment, the awareness, the presence and to decide. And we have a conscious mind and an intelligence with which we decide and then we ask. And on top of that, not only that we are children of God given that consciousness, but we have the subconscious mind, the chakras, everything, by which we are given the mechanisms to put this mechanism into action. And therefore we do uh, red Porsche, red Porsche, red Porsche, red Porsche, and you get it eventually. You have the power to get it. Thus, Jesus is telling you clearly, be bold. Even in the middle of the night, go to the cosmic consciousness and ask. Be careful what you ask, because you will get it. And therefore, it's much better to ask for things which are more neutral. Like, you know, when you have the prayer of the heart, the prayer of the heart which was conceived after about a thousand years of prayer in the Eastern Christianity, the formula of it, came like Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy, or have mercy on me. But have mercy on me is a brilliant formula, because it means have mercy on me, I don't have food, I don't have a house to sleep in, but have mercy on me means give me a state of samadhi and make me be in bliss. Then I can be like an Indian yogi. I live under a banyan tree, I don't know if I will have food tomorrow, but when I sit like this, I'm Buddha, I'm gone in Nirvana, and nothing can disturb my ecstasy, you know. Have mercy on me, is, it means you decide what you give me. Have mercy on me means give me, but I don't know what to ask for, and therefore give me what you think is needed for me. Brilliant formula. You pray, but you don't pray for something concrete. I'm not saying it's forbidden to pray for something concrete. But remember that sometimes it's not what you need to have. There was a Christian saint, I forgot his name, who was praying. He had a painful disease, something. Imagine something which is hurting you every day, like gout or God knows, something. Some painful condition in the body, which was every day. And he prayed to God, please God, rid me of this pain. I can't take it anymore. It's been going for five years every day, you know, it's like... I can't, it's like, please, stop it. And an angel appears to him and says, God sent me to tell you, like it's like a vision, right? Because he's in prayer. So you can say that the angel is like a hallucination. He's having a vision. And in that vision, some being of light comes to him and says, God sent me to tell you that you can, to compensate for all your bad things, you can spend three days in hell and pay it quickly in three days, and then you will be without pain. And he said, sure, I've already suffered for five years. Let me go three days to hell. And then, you know, and in hell it's so bad 
that he starts screaming for uh, for help after three minutes. No? And the angel says, why are you complaining? Well, he says, you said three days. Well, yeah, it's only three minutes past. The time in hell is passing very, very, very fucking slowly. So it's like three days in hell is not a joke. No? And then this saint says, better in pain for the rest of my life than three days in hell as a teaching for the rest of the world. Like, don't ask for stupid things which you don't know what they mean because when you taste them, it can be too bad. No? So, uh, the moral of this is uh, God, Jesus, is promising. You have the structure, the chakras, the subconscious, everything, which makes it possible for you to acquire your dreams. But make sure that your dreams are what is required for you, because if not, you are building your own prison. You are building your own walls, like this woman with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend, her husband, became her prison in the end. And thus, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks find, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Remember, I'm saying it again. If you say, I have seen somebody who asked and did not receive. It means they did ask in a completely not proper way. It's exactly like you say, everybody who tries to lock, unlock the door will unlock it. And then you see some, I don't know, clumsy person. And you say, look at Walter. Walter has tried to unlock his door for 12 hours and the door is still locked. Yeah, but maybe Walter doesn't even have the key. And then he is trying to unlock the door, but with what? You know, so therefore you have to try the proper way, which means there is a technology of prayer. There is a technology of visualization. There is a technology of these things, and you have to learn how to do it, and then you will get it. And then it's valid, but again, Jesus does not have the time to say, yeah, and I have seen also some who didn't even know how to ask, and therefore they... And then he gives the typical... This is where we stopped last time. And there he gives the typical uh, parable, which Ramakrishna also gives. I don't know if Ramakrishna read it in the Bible, and he got inspired by it. But Ramakrishna uses a similar parable, only that instead of talking about God as a father in heaven, he talks about Kali, his favorite goddess, his cosmic mother... And he pretty much says something the same. He says, which of you fathers, fathers like the one father, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, he is a bit tough here. He says, you are all evil. Why? Because you are not perfect. Jesus is with the black and white thing. If you are not with me, you are against me. If you are not with God, you are... No. So it's like a seesaw. So he says, if you are not on the kingdom of heaven, but you are talking to me and you hope to, so I'm showing you the way. And he says, which one of you, if you then, though you are evil, really, it's like I'm talking to you, 30 people here, and I'm saying, though you are evil. What does it mean? Well, it means you are ignorant, you are egoistic, you are skeptical, you are materialistic, and therefore it's kind of, uh, you know, there's a long way I have to walk holding you by the hand to get you to some place where I can drop the, my hand block 
and simply say, now you can manage by yourself. Like in the beginning, everybody, you know, Jesus is even rough. He says, you, though you are evil. He could be more diplomatic and says, if you, though you are unspiritual, although you are not yet spiritual enough, he could use a more diplomatic language. But that's not Jesus. Jesus hasn't heard about diplomatic language. Jesus is cutting right through, you know. And Jesus is placing the people. He says, you are in the dark side of the force. And you are talking to me because you want me to bring you to the bright side of the force. Which I'm trying to do by this discourse right now, you know. So it's like he is very uncompromising and very impolite. What if somebody in the group stood up and said, yeah... We just talked with that stupid preacher. And the first thing he said, you guys who are all evil. And you know what? I don't accept that I'm evil. I'm uh, uh, pissed off at you. You offended me. I am uh, the child of God. I'm this new age crap, you know, which goes around. There is no sin. We are perfect. We are one. And all this kind. Well, Jesus is not like that. Jesus says, in your dreams. In your dreams. In reality, what you do in the daily life is generally shit. And therefore, you, he says, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those to ask him? So basically, he says, don't have any lack of confidence. Because that's the thing. No, In the moment... When these people advise you, visualize that you have a red Porsche. You have to make yourself believe. If you read these materialistic affirmation things, uh, attraction of wealth and how to materialize your goals and all this, uh, the law of attraction and all these things, which are unfortunately most of the time preached by people who are selfish and materialistic. Because all the time they describe... How you can get a red Porsche and a villa with a swimming pool and the right sexual partner. And if you are sick, you can get healthy. None of those is bad in itself, inherently. But it's not the first priorities of life. It's like you are focusing on the trinkets and you forget the big hole, the elephant in the room, the thing which is there, the ignorance. When Buddha says, what is the cause of suffering? Because Buddha noticed that life is made of pain. That's the first noble truth. There is pain. Life is full of pain. That's what Buddha noticed. That was his awakening, first awakening. No? And then he was looking for a way out of pain. And Buddha says it very clearly. Suffering, pain, is produced by ignorance. That's a very, 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 very Ajna Chakra at the higher limit because it's like a mantra. It's like it's a generalization. It's like Buddha boiled it down and boiled it down, exactly as the Taoists boiled down the idea of yin and yang, that everything in nature is just two principles, plus and minus, yin and yang. No, it's a huge meditation to resume, to reduce the whole reality to a simple thing. And Buddha has reduced the reality to four noble truths. There are four things which can be said, and that's my teaching. Four sentences, four noble truths. That's the result of somebody who meditated a lot. 
and who had an excellent Ajna Chakra and could boil it down. And when he says a sentence like this, you have to meditate because it's not directly true, obviously, like there is pain, life is made of pain. Hey, it's not true. Yesterday I had a wonderful day and I was happy. That doesn't change what Buddha said. Just because you had a momentary uh, loophole in your life where it doesn't, it doesn't change the essential nature of the existence in samsara, which is fraught by limitations. And You have a physical body. This physical body has to be fed. You have to give it to drink and the water has to be clean and healthy. You have to breathe clean air. You have to do this. You have to do that. You are in a prison where you are given a lot of necessities to fulfill every day. No, so you are not free. It's not a world of freedom to have a physical body and to walk in this world. So Buddha is eventually right when you meditate a lot that even if you feel good, you are like an inmate in a prison who says, I had a great day today. Yeah, but you are still an inmate in a prison. So even if you say, I had a great day today, it's not the Shoshank redemption yet. No, it's you did not escape from that prison. You did not sort out the problem fundamentally. You just had a good day in prison, and tomorrow is going to be a very shitty one coming up as well to compensate for this bad, good one which you had. So, Buddha says it very clearly. The cause of suffering. Any one of you, if there is any person in this room, and of course, according to your psychological profile, surely there are people who are in that group who say, my life is painful, my life is painful, nobody loves me, this, I don't find my goal in life, I'm suffering, I'm... Uh, whatever, you know. There are people who love this thing, to exalt their pain and to say, my life is terrible. If there is any one of you who here who ask themselves, why do I suffer? Buddha has answered it 25 centuries ago, because you are ignorant. If you would know what Buddha knew, if you would know what Shankaracharya knew, if you would know what Rumi knew, you would not be in pain. Even though you could knock your big toe on a piece of furniture and have momentary physical pain for 15 days in your life. But in your soul, there is paradise. When the American FBI arrested Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, who later called himself Osho Rajneesh, when they arrested him, they treated him really bad. Like they put loudspeakers on the walls of his prison cell so he could not sleep in the night. They used all the dirty tricks in the book to make his life in prison hell so that they could break him. And then a journalist came and said, the, the big Baba Rajneesh, you know, you call, you, you call yourself God or something, you know. How smart are you now that the FBI got you by the balls and threw you in prison? Ha ha, America has got the best of you, Rajneesh. Eh? What have you got to say now? No? And Rajneesh gave an answer of a wise person, which demons, because, uh, you know, in need, you see better the character of people that when they are okay. Rajneesh gave a super wise answer while being in hell, in prison. He said, you can't throw me in hell, but you cannot take the paradise from my heart. Like he said, I'm in hell externally, and in my heart I'm a Buddha, and I'm with God. And it's just, I am a spiritual person, 
thrown in adverse conditions. But inherently, essentially, I'm still happy. Of course, I would like to get out of here and be in a comfortable place. But essentially, I'm not unhappy. That's why Buddha says the cause of pain is ignorance. Ignorance. You don't see. Your Ajna Chakra is not open up to see the cosmic reality. Then somebody dies and you would start laughing and rejoicing. And people will say, are you cruel? Are you perverted? No. Actually, when people die, it's a great rejoice. It's a great rejoicing. You should celebrate when people die because they have gone closer to the great spirit. No, it's not death which is the problem. It's birth which is the problem. When a child is being born, then you should cry. And again, there were nations in Europe which did exactly that. When children were born, they were wailing that here is another soul who came in the Valley of Tears to pay his karma. And when people were dying, they were celebrating and they said, Walter has gone to the gods. Good for Walter. No? So, the cause of pain is ignorance. And therefore, what do you need? You need to remove ignorance. So when you pray or when you ask for something, you are asking and saying, God, first of all, remove by ignorance. Because my first tendency is to ask you, please give me a villa with a swimming pool. But an ignorant person asking for a villa with a swimming pool is a person who is building hell for themselves. One day, your child will drown in that swimming pool and you are going to start knocking yourself and saying, why, why, why the fuck did I ask for a swimming pool? Because you are ignorant and you are limited by a big, big ignorance, egoism, limitation, and so on. So, that's why Jesus here, he simply says, if you think that you can give the good things, like he gives the example with a child, that a parent gives something to the child, he says, how much more will the cosmic consciousness be able to give you exactly what you need abundantly? Like, don't be afraid about that. That's not really your problem. Your problem is to ask for the right thing. No, so the problem is ask for clarity. Ask for the end of your ignorance. Ask to be allowed to see. Then you will know what to ask for. And thus, the problem in all these uh, affirmation, law of attraction things, is that people don't have faith. And then the gurus in these kinds of things, they say, imagine that you already got your red Porsche and visualize yourself driving it and you can feel the smell of the leather of the chairs of your brand new red Porsche and how the steering wheel is very special on a car like this and this and that. To create faith, to create belief, to make yourself believe. Even Jesus, in another place, <coughs> he says, when you pray, 
pray and act as if you know that your belief has already been that your demand that your prayer has already been approved I can say but I haven't got the red Porsche oh it's coming it's on a ship coming from Germany to you no it's that you don't see it but know that it's already coming to you in one month it will be there so don't doubt have the faith I prayed and you say thank you for listening to my prayer you know like my prayer has been heard the person who has no faith said yeah I ask but I don't really know if God has even heard what I said are you stupid the cosmic consciousness is here now omnipresent omniscient how it should not know of course it knows but the question is have you done the prayer according to the correct rules yes then what doubts should you have there is no doubt it's on its way you have triggered it's like a snowball the snowball has started already it did not reach to you but the snowball has already started from a big distance and it's coming and therefore Jesus here wants to give you faith he says I tell you whoever will ask will receive like calm down stop doubting but do it and do it properly and then he says which from you asks for a fish and you give him a snake instead like you think you are going to ask to God for a red Porsche and then he's going to give you a trabant I don't most of you don't even know what a trabant is no so it's like are you stupid no of course God is not going to give you a trabant instead of a red Porsche no? the, the trabant for those of you who don't know was a very very poor car made of cardboard which was manufactured in Eastern Germany during the years of communism. And although the Germans are super good at technology and cars and mechanics and this kind of things, this car was a catastrophe of a car. It was one of the most lousy cars produced in Eastern Europe, making lots of smoke and being very low, low performance on the road. And, but it was super cheap because it was made of cardboard. <laughs> so, it's exactly this like have Jesus in all this is trying to tell you at any hour of the night or day even if your prayer seems too bold pray 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 but remember that the problem is that what you ask you will get and then you can't get rid of it or what will you do with it and that's why the whole point of the situation here is better ask in your mind for the things which are truly important and which you truly want like wisdom knowledge discrimination love presence awakening because when you have those then you can come back to the Trabant story and address it you know it's maybe not the most urgent thing in your life take it slowly and he reveals something as well he says if you though you are evil again I call your attention on this Jesus sees that the people around him who are not 
in God, they are evil. He says, you are a child of God, you have an immortal spirit in you, and if you have not become enlightened like me, then potentially you are the next Adolf Hitler and the next Genghis Khan, because you are selfish, ignorant, and you are going to do all the shitty things that people can do. So, you belong to the devil for the time being. On this planet, the prince of this world is the evil. And I did not manage to fish your soul out of this dirty pond. And therefore, you still belong on the other side of that line. And I'm trying to bring you on my side of the line. It's a pretty rough, it's a pretty rough view. Try to think, like, Jesus is completely politically incorrect and he's not telling you are a wonderful child of infinity and you are magnificent as you are. Be as you are. And you know, you no, most of the people around are terrible and they live their lives in terrible ways. That's the problem. And even when, but yeah, but somebody gave some money to a beggar. How much gen? Yes. They gave some much money to a beggar and then they smoked drugs for five days and they masturbated for seven days non-stop, you know. It's like, how wonderful. It's a mixture of honey and caca. No, that's what it is. And you call it wonderful because there is a bit of honey in it. There is honey in the human beings, but there is also caca. You know, and the problem is that, you know, we always don't want to see that caca. You know, but if somebody puts a spoon of caca in a goblet of honey, you will not eat it. No, you will say it's polluted, it's, it's a pity. It's a kilo of translucent, wonderful honey here, the color of molten gold. But somebody has put a teaspoon of caca in it and now I cannot eat it and so on, no? Like this is how it, for Jesus, that teaspoon of caca, he cannot tolerate it. No, he doesn't like it. So, coming back to our story, he heed this because in the eyes of Jesus you are evil until you have crossed the line so he says even you though you are evil very accusing thing know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him so you know how to give gifts but what is the what is God giving because he could say if you can give gifts how much more can God give what people ask? But he doesn't say that. I don't know if you see. He twists the sentence. He says, if you can give gift the right things to your children, how much more can God give the Holy Spirit? So God is not really giving gifts. God is giving what Jesus here calls the Holy Spirit. A great Christian mystic from the 19th century in Russia, the famous Seraphim of Sarov, a Russian saint from northern Russia, who lived in the taiga, in the forests of northern Russia, when he was asked by a very sincere disciple whom he loved and who was not a monk, who was an ex-military officer with a handicap on his leg, but he was very pure in his heart, he was very sincere, and to this man, Seraphim was always giving amazing answers. He was teaching him whatever he wanted to know, because he saw that he was clean in his heart, 
he was not. The monks who lived with him in the monastery, they were hypocrites. They were cheating. They were pretending to be more holy than they were. They lived a false spirituality. But this guy called Motovilov, Motovilov was a very humble man, a very straightforward man. And then one day Motovilov is in the forest and it's snowing. It's a winter day, so it's cold. North Russia, no, well, it's cold and everything. And Motovilov, they are all both dressed up with. And Motovilov says, what is the purpose of the Christian prayer? What is the purpose of the Christian life? Living a life of prayer. Like what would you get from prayer? Like I understand it's the nearness of God. But can you explain what does the nearness of God mean more concretely? And Seraphim of Sarov gives an engineering answer. A tantric answer. A tantric yoga answer. Not in the sexual meaning. But tantric yoga in the meaning of energy. Of working with energy. Because he says the meaning of the Christian life and prayer practice is the accumulation of the Holy Spirit. It's like you have a credit in the bank. And if you have 5.5 tons of Holy Spirit, you make it to the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit in Christianity is what the Kabbalistic science has called Ruach, the breath of God. And it's nothing else but what the yogic tradition calls prana or shakti. It's the prakriti. It's the energy. The universal energy. So, but the divine form of it, the divinized form of it, shakti in the pure, undifferentiated form. Uma, parvati, as it's called in some aspects of the tantric tradition. So... Seraphim of Sarov says the purpose of you doing fasting, prayer, this, that, and so on, sexual continence and whatever, is that you accumulate Holy Spirit. Look, Jesus was saying the same thing. By summing up, he turns the sentence and he says, if you who are imperfect, let's not say evil, are capable to give good gifts according to the request of your child, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for Him? So those who ask God truly, they ask for the Holy Spirit. And when you have enough Holy Spirit, which is like you wake up your Kundalini and rise it to Sahasrara, then you have the Kingdom of Heaven. Then you have reached Buddhahood and you are enlightened and you have reached where you have to reach. So even the same thing is mentioned very clearly in the fundamental Kashmirian Tantric text, the Vigyana Bhairava. The Vigyana Bhairava says, Shakti, which is one with Shiva, Shakti is Shaivi Mukha, is the mouth of Shiva. Like to get inside Shiva, you have to go through his mouth to be sucked in God. And how do you get sucked in God? Through the mouth. And what's the mouth of God? Shakti. Therefore, you have to go into Shakti to be into Shiva. And what is that Shakti? That Shakti is Kundalini who rises to Sahasrara. That's the Shakti which is the mouth of Shiva. So in yoga, these things are codified in a very technical and clear way. But Jesus himself says, no, you give good gifts to your children 
and the Father in heaven gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. But uh, wait a second, people did not ask for the Holy Spirit. People said, God, 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 be with me, God, 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 give me what you think is best. Yes, the answer is the Holy Spirit. Jesus even spills the beans, you know, He tells you between the lines that the result of successful prayer is the Holy Spirit. If you say Francis of Assisi had a successful prayer and he became enlightened, it means that Francis of Assisi got Holy Spirit. When he was praying, there was like a shower of Holy Spirit pouring on him. As you know, maybe the Holy Spirit is usually visualized as being golden yellow. That's why when you depict the saints, they have a halo, a nimbus of energy, which is golden like the sunshine. This energy, which is like golden sunshine, you can compare it with the Holy Spirit. So when your aura is going to be flooded with golden yellow, shining, pure light, then you are going to be full of Holy Spirit. And with this, we move further. We'll start the next event and teaching. Jesus, so it's like it jumps to a completely other event. It's a, the story continues with another bit of it. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. This is something which modern people very seldom see. Only people who got steeped deeply in yoga and spiritual practice, they can accept this. If you tell to a modern doctor, there was a guy who was mute. And Jesus says it's a demon. A command. You can have psychotherapy or hypnotherapy and you will discover that your mother didn't give you milk from her left breast but only from her right breast and that's why you are mute. This is the madness of replacing theology with psychiatry and psychology. Psychology and psychiatry believes that the explanation of everything is your mother, your father, your school, some event and generally some materialistic cause. Because people like Freud, Jung, Reich and the others, they were generally, they first of all and many others, most of them were atheistic and anti-religious people. That's the sad truth. The modern psychology is composed by people who are like this. I remember when I was a teenager reading in a French magazine a title, the first thing which I have ever seen, and I didn't even read it. I was so ignorant at that time that only five years, three years later, I read it. I realized that I had seen this, and when I read it, I was amazed. And it was an article in a French magazine, in a famous French magazine, about Therese Neumann. Therese Neumann, which Yogananda describes in his book, this Bavarian woman who was not eating anything except the bread for the communion on Sunday, which is like two grams, and she was bleeding one kilo every Thursday evening 
by seeing the passion of the Christ on the cross. And she was tested by the army of Adolf Hitler. They surrounded her house and kept her like in a camp to verify that she is not cheating and eating. And she was fat. And she was doing agricultural work in her garden. And still she was not eating and she was losing lots of blood of body fluids every week. Inexplicable scientifically. And this article about Therese Neumann, written in the 1970s by some smart French journalists and psychologists, was Therese Neumann, saint or hysteric? Because according to psychology, the manifestations of religious things like stigmata and things like this, they can be explained by hysteria. You can say that Ramakrishna was a hysteric personality. And you can say that Francis of Assisi was a hysterical man. But when you say, oh come on, Jesus was a hysteric. Then you have killed all the magic. Nobody can believe in Jesus because he was a hysteric. And you are not going to choose a hysteric as your guiding light. It's just a very demonic way of destroying every religious feeling of veneration by saying, come on, man, it's just hysteria. So either you worship Francis of Assisi, that he is your intermediary, your mitigator with God, and you say, Saint Francis, pray for me, help me save my soul. Or you say, Francis of Assisi, he was 90% uh, hysterical. But then your respect for Francis of Assisi is dead when you called him hysterical. And therefore, this is exactly what I'm saying. Today, psychology is a very atheistic and materialistic science which explains everything like hysteria, mother, father, circumstances, subconscious mind, this, that. I'm not saying that some of the mechanisms explained in psychology are actually not true. But the problem the, the, the background, psychology never goes to the bottom of the problem. It goes only to a certain place and it does not go to the root of it. And Jesus sees the world in another way. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And the funny thing is, the terrible thing, the formidable thing is that the demon left like doing so. Jesus was healing a man who could not speak. The man could not speak all his life. And Jesus did some hocus pocus. Beelzebub, fuck off, leave this man alone. And the guy said, Mama, Papa, uh, me, uh, me, John. You know, suddenly he started speaking. So what kind of psychotherapy is this? No, this is not psychotherapy. There is, this is taumaturgic thing. No, you don't bother with mommy and daddy and all those things. You go directly to the thing that if the man is handicapped, there is a demonic force which is behind that. Even shamans and medicine men would rather see this, would rather be aware of this mechanism and say, stop the nonsense. It's not the mother or the father or some blockage in it. It's a demonic force. But this juju... This magic that we live in a world where there exists 
invisible forces, plenty of them, and they can interact with a human being within certain terms of engagement, this has been lost. Whenever you read Jesus, periodically it comes back, because Jesus was 100% of a shaman. Of course, he was much more than a shaman, because he was God. But he was doing the shamanic thing, like all the time, not all the time, but when he sees many problems, he sees them related with spiritual dark influences. And he says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. Oh, wait a second. The man was mute. See how funny it is put that Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. The demon was producing muteness, dumbness. But it's like the demon had taken over. You were talking to the man and actually you are talking to the demon because the man was at home but he could not answer. He was behind the demon. The demon was in charge. The demon was running the show. For some people they don't want to think about this because it's very scary. It's very scary to live your life like this no, but that is the reality. Please realize, this is what Shankaracharya said, this is what Milarepa has seen, this is what Rumi have seen, and Yogananda, and Ramakrishna, and you name it. Everybody who is spiritual has seen the existence of invisible forces galore, galore. Myriads of forms of spiritual influence in this universe. Of course, they don't act freely and chaotically, and every one of you can say, oh, but I'm afraid to think about this because maybe tomorrow I become mute. No, these things don't happen chaotically and without a clear karmic reason. And if you are curious, please study with Agama, metaphysics, do meditations and learn, and you are going to see that you can even know what the rules of engagement are. It's not, this is not at all a chaotic science. For a shaman, these things are not chaotic and like, oops, uh, look what happened to Walter. He became possessed by the demon of muteness. Then it doesn't happen out of the blue and like, oops. It happens according to a science thing. Exactly like if you have eaten some poisonous food, then you have a food poisoning and you start throwing up and you have fever and diarrhea for three days. You don't get hit by fever and diarrhea just out of the blue. It must have a cause. So the same here. This man was the way he was because of a certain cause. The only problem is that Jesus was much above these causes. Jesus never gets stuck into causes. Yes, they come to see him people who are paralyzed and people who are mute and people who are blind and lepers. And he even rises three or four people out of their grave and there is like no limit. Like there is no door which can stay closed in front of this formidable Jesus. Wherever he goes, boom, he bursts the doors open and things get done. But of course he can see that people were the were the were for a reason. Only that he doesn't bother to explain the reasons because they are not important. I once heard a famous Christian priest doing a preaching about Jesus and he said... You know, somebody, it's exactly, he compared the situation about what to do in a situation where Jesus comes and interferes. 
and people say, but who did it? Uh, was it because of his father, because of his mother? And he said, it's exactly like somebody goes into a car accident. You go to the corner of 7-Eleven and there is a car accident in the middle of it. And there is a person fallen on the ground and bleeding. And the first thing which you ask is, uh, who was guilty? Like, does it matter? The man is bleeding to death. So the, the thing which you have to do is go and stop his bleeding and carry him to the hospital as quick as possible. You know, that's what you have to do, not to start inquiring. Let the police find out tomorrow who was guilty for the accident. It's not your problem. So the same here. Why was this man mute? Who cares? The point is that he was mute. And for Jesus was just important that he knew that there was a demonic force a demonic influence involved into this. When the demon left, the man who had been mute, presumably for his all his life, spoke. And the crowd was amazed. Of course, the crowd is always amazed when they see things. Uh, I've been sent some video clips with great stage magicians. In the last month, I probably have seen 20 video clips with great magicians doing, at least half of them, I don't have a clue about how they do it. Like I have seen some magicians on YouTube doing some things where I'm thinking like, no, like if I would be a naive person, I would say that these people have magic powers, you know. Of course, it's stage magic and it all has a materialistic explanation, but it's so far out, it's so extreme that I'm sitting there and even I as a yogi and as a yoga teacher, my jaw is dropping, you know. And the devil is whistling in my ear. If you could do something like this in front of your disciples, maybe they will believe in your satsangs a little bit more, you know. It's almost like you have to do some shit to show to people that you are uh, entitled to things, you know. And so on. So then, of course, the opposite thought is coming. Maybe Jesus was one of those. And uh, the stuff was just uh, tricks, magic tricks, you know. Like, it's a very slippery ground with these things. And Jesus is taking this dangerous ground that he's doing magic things. And people are amazed. And that amazement is a very good rasa is a very good state of consciousness because it opens the door like, wow, God is here. I have seen today a man just get well in a fraction of a second. God, And if God is here, it means I can be enlightened in the next fraction of a second. Everything is possible. My mind is opening towards everything. So these tricks, whatever they were, paranormal abilities or whatever, they were very cleverly used by Jesus. The crowd was amazed. But even then, people were not prepared. Remember what Jesus said, but if you who are evil, you show a man becoming healed like this to evil people, to convince them. It's obvious that some of those people will still say, uh, 
they didn't say it's a David Copperfield trick. Maybe some, but probably the stage magic was not that developed in those days. <clears throat> but some of them said the opposition which they had was religious. But some of them said like, uh-oh, here is the mute man. Jesus said, demon, out. And the man spoke. And they knew that the guy was mute because he had been in their village for many years. So it was not a trick. But then they had to find something because the most difficult thing is to believe that Jesus is God. That's the belief which will engage you. It's an engagement. If you believe that, then you have to act. You have to change your life. You have to go for it. And then your tamasic spirit, your inertia, wants that uh, maybe there is a solution even to this. There is a solution for me to not believe. Like the demon in your head would like to still not believe. Jesus is coming with one after another, one after another. And then after three years, Judas betrayed him. Like why? It's obvious that Judas was finding a way and saying, yeah, but maybe, maybe things are not exactly what they are supposed to be. The doubt, the doubt, the doubt, the doubt. And so the, some of the crowd said exactly what you'd expect in that religious environment. By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. He simply said he is friends with demons bigger than the demon of muteness. And then he's asking the boss of the demons to kick this one out. And therefore he seems to have power. But it's because, like, what a twisted way of thinking, huh? You would do anything just not to think that this man was with God. Anything would be better than thinking that this man was with God. Because if you thought that this man was with God, then you had to obey him. You had to follow him. You had to do what he said. And you would prefer to find an excuse not to. No? It's like I was laughing together with some advanced teachers in Agama. When this scandal emerged in Agama a year and a half ago, some people dug out a scandal which I have heard 15 years ago. That uh, because one of my teachers when I was young, one of my teachers was a man of a dubious character, maybe when I'm teaching you the mantra Aum, it's perverted because one of my teachers was a weirdo 25 years ago. That's exactly the same thing. If you would take the initiation with Aum, you might save your soul and open your Ajna Chakra. And Aum, says Patanjali, is the sonoro symbol of God. And here in Agama we can teach you a method which is saving the day. The real, authentic methods of using the traditional mantras which are 90-something percent lost even in India and Tibet. 
and which I didn't get from a teacher 25 years ago. But people would prefer to say, maybe you should not work with Aum because maybe that initiation is coming from a wrong teacher and it's somehow perverted. We had a pupil in the third level last month who said, uh, I would do everything, but I don't want to take the mantra initiation from you guys in Agama. I said, fine, less work for me. But you cannot go to level four and further in the Agama teaching because the chain of trust is broken between us. You don't have trust in what I teach. And if you are going to come and evaluate, ah, this initiation, I think, uh, uh, I think you did not pollute this one. It's okay. But that one, I think it's polluted. It's okay. If you start giving judgments about what I'm teaching and what I shouldn't teach, then go and make your own yoga school and teach whatever you want to teach. No, it's as simple as that. No, like with Jesus, I am not worthy to tie the shoelaces of Jesus. Like John the Baptist said, I am a human being which is full of flaws and imperfections. And if Jesus did miracles and healed people, hundreds of them, and did amazing things, and people said, yeah, he healed this one. But he healed it with Satan. He healed it with Beelzebub. Like anything, whatever, you prefer to believe whatever miserable shit, just not to believe that it was right. Anything but not the right thing. What is this? This is a mind full of dirt. This is a mind full of impure resonance. This is a mind which always is looking for the negative, is searching for the negative. Then there is nothing to do. And you see, Jesus is not doing a hocus pocus and says, guys, your mind, he's talking to them. He says, men, you are really sick in your minds. People, how can you think like this? Like he's arguing with them. But he is not trying to take their free will. He says, all of you who think like this, there is an even bigger demon than the demon of muteness who is blinding your minds. Because look at you, I'm doing some divine actions in front of you. And you are idiots, you can't even see it. It's happening in front of you. And you find excuses that I did it by the prince of the demons. Are you nuts? But he is not forcing them to see it right. He is doing it by argument. You know, he says, let me argue with you about this. He could, he had the power to say, listen, let me show you how stupid you are. And then they will all have the Ajna Chakra open and see everything clearly, crystal. But he doesn't do that. He lets them go with their evolution and with their choice because everybody has an immortal soul and everybody has to find their way. It's everyone's personal evolution. Jesus can help you. Jesus can inspire you. But he is not going to do the work for you. No? So they said, by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons, he is driving out the demons. Others, so there are others, there was not the prevalent one. 
You know, they say that uh, both, I heard this proverb both in Israel and in Greece. They said wherever there are three Greeks, there are four opinions. No? It's like everybody is smart and makes a group of their own and a party and whatever. You know? The same here. The Israelis were very, you know, there were many parties already in the group. Some people said he's doing it with Beelzebub. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Like, um, you know, this thing with Walter not being mute anymore is not eloquent enough. It doesn't prove the point. Because see what those people say. Maybe you did it with Beelzebub. So why don't you show us some real big one? Something from heaven, you know? So we know that they never realize that from that state of consciousness, this can never happen. Like Jesus is never the kind of person who will play this game. He, he doesn't want to please the people. That's not his purpose. He did his thing. He showed the truth. And ultimately it's his way or the highway, you know. Just go and search for something else. You do it my way or not. It's as simple as that. In Agama, you don't come to do dervish dancing. If you want to do dervish dancing, there are many Sufi dargas in Turkey and in other countries where you can go and do Sufi dervish dancing. Go and do it. It's not that I'm forbidding it. But we are not specialized in Sufi dance in this school. We are specialized in Laya Yoga, Kundalini Yoga, Mantra Yoga, Yantras, Mahavidya Yoga. This is what we do. If you want to learn those things, you are welcome. No, otherwise, no, we don't do other things. Say, let's start do Christian prayer. Go to a monastery. There are monasteries where they do tons of Christian prayer. It's not, I have nothing against Christian prayer. And if anyone wants to sit in the corner there and do some Christian prayer, I'll never stop you. But that's not the profile of this school. Yeah. So that's why Jesus is giving his way. They want to take it good. They don't want to take it. Jesus is not upset because of that. So this is, he heals a man and it's a, and not people say he's doing it by the devil. Others say they test, they ask a real heavenly sign. Something bigger. Give us a bigger one. This was not enough. We're not convinced. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and the house divided against itself will fall. This is very profound because it's a principle. He first quotes a principle. It, it applies to everything. For example, any kingdom divided against itself. This is the sad condition of people who suffer from severe forms of schizophrenia. Schizophrenic people are people who are divided against itself. One part of me is allergic to strawberries. As you can find examples in the book of Deepak Chopra on Ayurvedic healing in his book called Perfect Health. There are schizophrenics who one personality is allergic to strawberries and one is not. And the body reacts like this. If he has eaten strawberries and one hour later he goes into the other personality, then suddenly he goes in anaphylactic shock and has to be taken to the hospital. 
So, but until then, for one hour, he was perfectly okay. So a schizophrenic person can be totally split. Totally split. Which from a spiritual standpoint is a total tragedy. That's why even in yoga, we don't have very good results with this kind of mental problems. We have excellent results with anxiety, with depression, with panic attacks. We, we have amazing results with this. But with personality disorders, you have to talk to me, to the teachers, you know, because, and we are going to tell you, we can deal with your thing or not. No? So what Jesus says does not apply only to this situation. He first quotes the mantra. He first says, what's the principle? What's the law? What's in the tabula maragdina or whatever, you know, in the... Uh, emerald tables of Hermes Trismegistus or something. The principle is any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. It's valid in so many ways. Your thoughts are divided. Half of me wants to be rich and half of me thinks that all the wealthy people are sick bastards. Do I really want to be rich? But my mind says that Rockefeller, Rothschild, Morgan, De Beers, and as well as Warren Buffett and uh, uh, whoever, the Microsoft guy and Bezos and all those, they are all monsters. They are rich capitalists who should be killed by the Marxist revolution, you know, and so on. Then I'm schizophrenic. Because a part of me would like to be wealthy and travel first class in airplanes and sleep in five-star hotels. And a part of me says, nah, those people are bastards. And therefore, I don't want to become a bastard. Or do I? No. This is, this is called conflicting signals. That my own subconscious mind is made of conflicting signals. And then people say, why don't you get rich? As I was telling you earlier, why people wish to be rich, but they don't. Because another part of their mind tells them that to be rich is a guilty thing. Uh, they fly private jets and Greta Thunberg would not be agreeing with it. Greta Thunberg thinks that all the rich people who live in luxury, they are bastards who are ruining the ozone layer or something like this. No, this is a signal which tells to the whole of humanity... Live like hippies. Go in the forest and have a small carbon footprint, you know. Live ecologically. And don't use trains, cars, airplanes. And That's not the solution. The solution is, God, give us a blessing so that we can use 20 times more energy than we use now. And we can still control the climate of the planet Earth and make it okay. The solution is a positive solution not just cutting down everything and going back into a banana hut, into a bamboo hut in the forest and living like in the Stone Age. No? Uh, give up your computers, give up your airplanes, give up because Greta Thunberg says that she will never forgive you. But Greta Thunberg is a schizophrenic girl. She suffers from Asperger, who is a form of schizophrenia. That the world is listening to a 16-year-old schizophrenic girl who is shirking school, because, of course, it's much more fun 
to go to Washington and insult people than to go to school and learn algebra, you know, then, you know, what world do we live in? No, a world which where we are guided, the biggest people in this world are uh, Bill Gates and Greta Thunberg, two schizophrenics, because Bill Gates is also an Asperger type of, an autistic type of person. No, like, what are we doing? No, so back to our story, you know, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall, fail, fall. This is the problem. The problem is that people want but don't want, you know, I want to be free, but I want you to be married to me, and you have to sign it with blood, that you will not leave me, but then I'm not free, I'm tied to you, you are tied to me, but because you are tied to me, I'm tied to you also, so I want to be free, but I want to have the vow of a marriage, Am I free? Actually not, but I'm giving myself conflicting signals. All the time I say one thing, and actually I do something else. It's a lot of this thing is happening. No? I want to do a diet, and then I catch myself binging on all sorts of crap food. No? Like, and again, I could continue with this list. The human being is very inconsistent, and most people are not even aware of the fact that they have these contradictions. And Jesus is giving a principle. He says, any kingdom or house divided against itself will be ruined. The house divided against itself will fall. So we have to stop having this schizophrenia. Again, most people are not schizophrenic to the limit of going to a hospital and receiving psychiatric care. But all of us have a little bit of schizophrenia inside us because we give ourselves conflicting signals. I want this, but I don't want it. Then we are wondering why it doesn't happen. And he gave them the principle, and I could meditate on this principle a lot, but now he applies it. He says, that's the principle. If something is divided, it will fall. And then he says how it applies in this case. You say that I'm healing the mute person with Satan. As you can see, in the Bible, they use here that people said that he is healing them with Beelzebub. And Jesus himself here uses the name Satan. The people who wrote the text, even as the gospel, they were not completely going into the details. If any one of you is really curious, you can study demonology and find out that there are certain names in hell which I don't want to recite too many of them, because pronouncing them has the effect of a mantra, and therefore if you, you know, spiritual people avoid, I, can, I have to say it because I read it from the Bible, but otherwise I would not say it because I'm reading it with consecration, with spiritual protection, so I don't do it. But if you would, exactly as if you say, Jesus, 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 you will attract Jesus. If you take one of these names and say it a lot, you will attract that thing. So therefore, the people who are smart spiritually, they don't pronounce the, the, the demonic names too much because they have the effect of an invocation like a mantra. So please refrain to say the, name, the names of demonic entities 
and the names of uh, this, because in Kabbalah, this was the only thing needed to just invoke them. You drew a pantacle, a magic pantacle, appropriate for that. You did a few other things, maybe you drew a magic circle and so on, and then you started invoking such things, and they were coming to ask you what you want. No? So it's like uh, this we are, with this we are opening the door to hell and the door to something very, very dark. So here they use chaotically alternatively some names. Remember that Beelzebub, Satan, Lucifer, Asmodeus and many others which are there, they, um, and female names as well like Lilith and others, they are not the same. There is a whole hierarchy and description of the demonic kingdoms and the different princes and rulers of those. Uh, you shouldn't dwell on that, in my opinion, for the time being, because the best thing is to, if one day you become powerful enough to perform exorcisms and other things, then you should know the nature of the darkness, but until that time, uh, don't. So just take it uh, on the surface like this. So. Jesus, instead of replying with the same name of Beelzebub, he says uh, it in another way. He says, if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Like there has to be solidarity between the bad guys, even in hell. Exactly as a gang of thieves practices solidarity with each other. Not only the three musketeers are one for all and all for one. A gang of thieves are also all for one and one for all as much as they can, because maybe they are not so selfless and noble in their feelings. But there is a Manipura Chakra type of solidarity. There is the honor of the bandits. Even the bandits, can, even the Yakuza's and the mafiosos can have their own code of honor by which they abide. So, here, Jesus says, you cannot tell me that I just used a devilish force and removed a devil. Because a devil does not remove another devil. You are stupid. You don't think logically. You just try to find any reason to not believe me. That's the problem, you know. You are digging for any kind of excuse for saying maybe he does it with a demon or something. But he says, how ridiculous this is. Because it cannot be like this. No? In another place, he says, he says there, you know, he says, I'm talking and revealing to you about the demonic forces. But no demon would do that. Like lift the skirt or pull the curtain and show you what's hidden. No? Because they don't want you to know what's hidden. They don't want you to see what's hidden. No? So Jesus says, even the fact that I'm going against all these things, it shows clearly who I am and that I cannot... A wolf is solidary with another wolf. In Romania we have a proverb which says, a crow does not pluck out the eyes of another crow. They have the solidarity of their own species. No? Exactly this is where Jesus is starting from. Remember this thing, which was the principle, because the principle is more important than the particular case argumentation. If a house is divided against itself, it will fall. 
Is your house divided against itself? How divided are you against yourself? Why don't you have power, health, wealth, spirituality, success, everything? Because you constantly shoot yourself in the foot. Because you constantly give conflicting signals to yourself. Your subconscious mind is not aligned. If the subconscious mind is aligned, it has an amazing power to fulfill goals. But because it gives three signals that way and five signals that way, the result is almost zero. And you can see what is the result in my life. Uh, I'm sad, I'm alone, I'm unsuccessful, I'm this. It means you are giving yourself not only conflicting signals, it means that most of the conflicting signals that you give to yourself are negative and self-destructive. So stop that. Meditate until next time when we meet. Meditate on this fundamental truth from Jesus. Any house which stands against itself will fall. Divided, you fall. Where is your division? What is divided in you? That's very important. When you are not divided, you become like Buddha. Buddha is not divided. He has found himself. That's what yoga is trying to bring you. Yoga is trying to bring you this oneness in everything. In dealing with your physical body, in dealing with your daily life, in dealing with the paranormal things, if you are interested in those, and last but definitely not least, in dealing with your own identity. Who am I? Where do I come from? And what is the meaning of all this? With this, let us finish for tonight. Thank you all for having had the patience to listen to these things. Slowly, slowly, we, uh, we unveil some fundamental things which can be applied in our daily life and in yoga from the splendid wisdom which Jesus is bringing so abundantly. Remember always that in satsangs I don't take questions because there is no time and uh, it breaks the rhythm of it. And always when there are two big questions, we have another day in the week where we have questions and answer sessions. And you can write down whatever. If these satsangs bring up questions for you, you can always have those questions answered one week later in the Q&A. So it's not that I'm just uh, monologuing here. Only in the satsang. I am, that's why it's called the discourse or a satsang. With this we have finished. Thank you all for joining.